Hey, everybody. So if, if you guys, some of you were a part of this when we did this. In 2021, throughout the entire fall, um, we went to Orange, to the Orange Circle, and you guys know all the little coffee shops and restaurants, and then there's the fountain and those benches there. And we started in September. We actually finished, I think, in the first week of December. We went every week. And what we did on Wednesday nights there is we worshipped and we prayed for this city and for Southern California. And um, at first, it was intimidating. I mean, it's a crowded place, right? But over time, I think we just realized we, in the middle of Orange Circle, Right there near that fountain, we as a group were connecting with God, and we found ourselves truly praying for the city and for the area. And occasionally people would, you know, kind of stop and watch. Sometimes people would stop and worship with us. We had a couple of opportunities to pray for other people that were there. But I knew that I knew that I knew that God was leading us to do that. And then over the course of 2022... I really felt like, man, we did that in orange. That would be great to do it in your Belinda. And every once in a while, I would ask God about it. Well, Lord, should we do it? Do you want us to do it? I had no idea where. I mean, literally, I'd, I thought, I, I just, I thought of different places in your Belinda. I thought, I don't know. None of them sounded good to me. But I didn't want to do something just because it was a good idea or my idea. I wanted to do something because it was God leading. And then I remember even um, at the end of 2022 praying about it and saying, God, do you want us to do this? Is this something that's significant? And on January 1st of this year, and this is just me in my own heart, right? I'm not talking about this with anybody. I get this email from Deanna. And the email says, hey, Sam, as you shared this morning, the Lord recalled to mind something that had jumped out at me a few weeks ago as I was reading with my kids from 2 Chronicles 20. Judah was facing a threat from surrounding nations, and Jehoshaphat's response was, was noteworthy. By the way, that threat was an overwhelming threat. It was like 10 to 1 odds, right, that Judah was going to lose. And it said, number one, a time of corporate fasting and seeking the Lord, which if you read it, it happens in verses 3 to 12. And then there's this prophet stand up and encourage the people in verses 13 to 17. And then verse 3, the response, humbly bow and worship in verses 18 to 20. And then Deanna wrote that after this time of preparing their hearts, they go out to battle. He encourages them, and then the part that really hit me came in verse 21. And then, De and then Deanna puts verse 21 in there. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing the Lord and praise him in holy attire, in the old King James, in the splendor of holiness, as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then Deanna puts this last two sentences. He sent the worship leaders out first. It was a humbling realization. And the moment I read that, it was, I knew that God, this was a word from God. 
I mean, Deanna didn't know that I had been praying about this for 12 months. And I knew that God was saying, yes, I want you to go to war for California and you put the worshipers out in front publicly. And I knew that. It was two days. And one thing that I wanted to mention was this phrase in 2 Chronicles 20. Let me read it real quick. In 2 Chronicles 20 it said, verse 21, And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire, in the splendor of holiness, in, in garments of holiness. As they went out before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come out against Judah, Judah so that they were routed. Now this phrase, in holy attire, is used twice in scripture. It's a phrase that talks about the priestly garments and the Levites, the musicians, there was a real soldiers, but they were leading with instruments, not with spears and crossbows and, and, and bows and arrows. This phrase is used one other time in Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 says, at looking at the end of the age, as the Lord, his kingdom is breaking in in the earth, Psalm 110 says, I see worshiping armies in front, and it uses this same Hebrew phrase, Psalm 110. The Lord sent forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power in holy garments, in holy attire. It's the same phrase. Soldiers that are wearing the garments of a priest, not battle fatigues that are going with instruments, not spears. Now, you had no idea that I was going to share this today. And during prayer this morning, um, during prayer this morning, Kate... Okay, so back on September 17th, I was driving my car and I w had my daughter next to me. Anyway, I looked down at the dash, and the time was right there. It was 1.10 p.m., and my car had just turned over 110,000 miles exactly, zero, zero, you know, all the zeros, right? I never catch when my odometer does that, right? And it was exactly the same number, 1.10 p.m., 110,000 miles. And I was like, Amy, hand me my phone. You know, I want to take a picture of this. And so I had her take a picture of it, and since that time, um, since September, I've just been reading that. I keep going back to it and reading it and praying over it and asking God to show me what, it, like, because I just thought the probability of that happening is extremely low. So, Lord, are you trying to say something to me? So I went home. I started praying into it, and then I started looking up verses in the Bible, anything that might be significant in the 110 range, right? So I found Psalm 110, and that really resonated with me, and I've been reading about it, and it's this, it's this picture of a triumphant people following Christ, right? The other thing I didn't mention was something significant that happened on January 10th was Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon, and it's this picture of a powerful leader, right, going in victory and claiming his power, and, 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 and so I saw that too, but um, 
the fact that you're making the connection between the only two places in Scripture that it says, you know, they went before in worship in holy attire and that we're starting this week to go to your Belinda is, and I had, I was like, Lord, should I share that? You know, so I just happened to bring it up when we were praying this morning. So. Yeah, she'd never, Jamie had never brought it up before. And I just thought it was dynamic and it was amazing. And what a huge journey that was. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So a couple of days after I got Deanna's email, I was in my living room and I was praying. And I, all of a sudden, I wasn't even asking God the where question. It was like, I am telling you, it was like a clear word from heaven. And the Lord just, in my mind, I felt, I just remembered those stone circle benches in Nixon Park near Mimi's. And the Lord said, there's your target. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh my gosh, that is where we need to do this. And I just knew it. A couple of days after I read Deanna's email, right down in downtown Yorba Linda. And so what, and what said in the announcement is what we're going to do is for one hour from seven to eight, it, one Thursday a month for 10 months, we're, or for seven months, we're going to do this seven times. And in our sense, it's going to be like when Joshua took Jericho, who was leading the army? The Levites, the priests, what were they carrying? Instruments. They were blowing horns, right? Seven times. Well, this is going to be our seven times in a sense around your Belinda. Back in 1993, um, I lived for six, um, about almost six months in India with Youth with a Mission. And as part of that six months, we spent half the time in a city called Maharashtra, or in a state called Maharashtra. The city was called Kalapur. And this is one of those many Indian cities with millions of people and almost um, the city was almost completely unreached. There were a couple of Christian churches on one corner of the outskirts of the city at the time, but most of the city was completely unreached. No gospel witness, no churches, nothing. And a city completely given over to Hinduism, the worship of demons, idolatry, witchcraft, and I remember that when we first arrived, in Ma, we found a, a, in the middle of the city, there were these four large slums. There was an apartment that was kind of in the center area of these huge slums. And in India, when I say slum, you can go to a, you know, on a second story of a building and look, and as far as your eye can see, it's shanty houses and slums. I mean, it's unbelievable, the poverty. There's almost nowhere else like it on earth. And we had just arrived in the city, and the team leader, his name was Keto, and he and I were exploring the city one evening. We just were walking around, and we kind of got lost. And at one point, we were walking down this alleyway, and then we turned the corner and walked down another alleyway, and we walked through this huge stone archway. We didn't know where we were. And when we stepped into the archway... This invisible presence, this invisible hand, 
grabs us and pushes us physically out of the archway. And it was, we felt it, we experienced it. It was terrifying. And we did, and, and I looked in and I realized, oh my gosh, this is an archway into a huge Hindu temple complex full of idols and all types of things. And I looked at Keto and we knew that that was an actual demonic presence. We knew we just encountered something that we weren't looking for. And I looked at Keto and I said, let's go, let's, we got to go pray in there. We got to go, you know, we got to go pray. So we stepped back into the archway and made a few steps into this Hindu temple complex. And this is just a small section of it. This, this hand, this invisible hand, this evil presence, it felt like it started crushing us physically. And we were trying to pray, and it felt like our words were just falling to the ground. And I was getting, I, I was just this sense of fear and terror, and he was feeling it as well. And, and I just looked, I said, we got to get out of here. And we literally turned like this and stepped out the archway and ran away down the alleyway. And we, we got back to our, you know, apartment that night. It was so hot out that we were, most of us were sleeping outside in the courtyard with our sleeping bags. And so I'm, that night when, you know, the sun had gone down and I'm sleeping, I couldn't sleep. I was laying in my sleeping bag. I was so overwhelmed with fear that my legs were physically shaking. I'd never had that happen before. It felt like I was living in the midst of a middle of a horror movie. And I had this overwhelming sense that I had to get out of India. I had to go back to America. I was afraid of this demonic power. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. It felt like that. It felt suffocating. The fear felt suffocating to me. I had never encountered something on that scale before. I, didn't, I hadn't been to Tibet yet. Tibet was even on a whole new level beyond that. And it, it was about 1 or 2 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm just afraid. I'm like, God, I'm not cut out for being a missionary in India. This is, I guess I don't have the goods. <laughs> I'm ready to leave. <laughs> and I hear the Lord speak to me, and I said, I want you and your team, the team, to go back into the center of the city and even back into that Hindu temple, and I want you to pray for my kingdom to come. And I'm like, not me. I literally felt like I was out of my league, that I was going to die. And I said, not me. I want to go back to America. And after a while, I heard the Lord speak to me just in this gentle voice. I want you and the team to go back to the center of the city, back into that Hindu temple, and I want you to pray for my kingdom to come. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. There's no way. I am not going to face that again. The third time, the Lord spoke, and he, and he brought to my mind a Bible verse, Revelations 12, 11, which says, they overcame him, 
Did you guys ever read Revelation 12, 11? Who's the him? Who? Satan. Yeah. It's talking about the devil. It's talking about Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. They loved him. They, they loved even willing to die for people. And the Lord gives me this verse, and it was like the word love was highlighted in my mind's eye. They love not their lives to the death. And I felt like the Lord said, do you love the city? I mean, and how are you supposed to answer that? No, I don't, God. The Lord said, do you love the city? Do you love the city where would you be willing to die for the city? That's what the verse says. And I felt like the Lord said, if you love the city, then you and your team will go back. You'll go to the center of the city. You'll go into that Hindu temple, and you'll ask for my kingdom to come. The next morning, I told our team leader about my experience from the previous night, and he's like, yes, I know we need to do that. Interestingly, a, a top YWAM leader of YWAM India showed up to visit us the day after that, and me and Keto shared with him our experience. I shared with him what happened that night in my sleeping bag. We shared Revelation 12, 11, and he said, I, and he, the, he had been praying about our team, and the Lord had given him a confirming word to share with our team, knowing none of this, out of Joshua and Joshua and Jericho. And we knew that this was God leading us. So we met with our team and we, we shared the strategy and we told them that we're going to go for seven Fridays in a row in the afternoon and evening and we're going to pray and worship at the center of the city. And what we decided to do is to have two people go into the Hindu temple and pray and worship and the rest of the team to march around the Hindu temple and to pray and worship. And we, were, we decided, because we were evangelizing door to door, and we decided, okay, we'll do that six days a week, which we were. We were evangelizing, sharing the gospel, door-to-door -door evangelism. On street corners, we were passing out gospel tracts. We'll do that six days a week. But on the seventh day, on Friday, we'll only do prayer and worship. We'll devote it to prayer and worship. And everyone in the team agreed that's, that's the strategy from God. We're going to do this seven weeks in a row. And I remember when the first Friday came. And in the first Friday morning, when I, I woke up from that, that first Friday that we were going to go to the temple, and I woke up, and all of a sudden when I woke up, I felt a dark, heavy cloud over my mind and my heart, oppressive. And I thought, what is that? It almost felt like depression. I thought, what is that, God? And the Lord gave me a Bible verse and, and, and a vision. Well, I had a vision of, of soil, and underneath the soil, these roots. But these roots were spreading all throughout the soil. And, and then the Lord gave me a Bible verse, and it was in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And Hebrews 12, 15 says this. It says, 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. And I felt like the Lord was saying that what you felt this morning and the vision I gave you and the verse I gave you is there's bitterness in the camp. There's resentment. There's backbiting. And, and, and your t- you, you as a team need to turn to me, repent, and confess. We're about to go into battle, right? But we don't want to be battling each other. Now, at this point, if you were to, when, when you are with our team, everybody's happy, everybody's smiling, everybody's God bless you. It looked like we were a perfect little Christian community. So that morning, every morning before we started our day, we would pray together, Bible study together, and worship together every morning. And we, during the prayer time, I shared with them how I woke up that dark, oppressive cloud, uh, the vision of the roots, and the Bible verse out of Hebrews. And I said, guys, if there's bitterness, if you got bitterness towards one another, this is the time to confess it, to say sorry, to repent, Turn to God. Let's get it. Let's, let's clean up here. So I said, does anybody have anything to confess? Nothing. Nobody said a word. Nothing. I said, nobody? Nothing. I'm like, but man, I th- really thought I heard from God. People just smiled. During lunch at about noon, I was outside um, I forgot what I was doing. We heard yelling coming from the kitchen of the apartment. So we, we ran in, and there are two team, team members on this side of the kitchen, and then a team leader and a team member on this side of the kitchen, and they are literally yelling at each other like as loud as they can. A fight broke out over the kitchen duties. And then it turned into arguing about not just kitchen duties, but cleanup chores, and then attitudes, and then little things people, and I mean, a war broke out. I thought, oh, there was bitterness right underneath the surface. And it was there. It took about 45 minutes to an hour to get everybody to calm down. My team leaders were working with them. One of the team leaders was also yelling, though, so it was a little complicated. And everybody to confess their own sin, their own part, to forgive one another. It didn't resolve the conflict completely, but it resolved it enough so that some peace came back. Now, we're about to leave for the center of the city at 3 o'clock in about two hours. And... I knew that that, that that evening, Keto, the team leader, and I, we were the ones that were going to go into the Hindu temple. The rest of the team was going to march around it, praying and worshiping and asking for God's kingdom to come. So I'm like, I want to take some Bible verses with me. So I went under, this is about one or so in the afternoon, and I went under uh, these little chairs underneath these palm trees in this courtyard, and I had my Bible open. I said, God, what do you want me to read when I'm in the Hindu temple? And the Lord started highlighting to me some psalms as well as some passages out of Isaiah. 
And one of the psalms the Lord highlighted to me was this one. Psalm 138, verse 1 to 2. David's writing, I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the what? Before the what? The gods. Molech. Asherah. Baal. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Interesting, isn't it? When you look up the commentaries on this verse, the real smart Hebrew Old Testament scholars, they said this is a confrontation that David is describing where they would literally with the ark or with the priests or the instruments, possibly even before the shrines to these Canaanite gods, they would have a worship service to Yahweh, a confrontation. I bow down before your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things, all gods, your name and your word. Then there were some other verses, but the one that struck me the most, I remember sitting there because I'm writing verses down on a piece of paper. I didn't want to carry a Bible with me, so I wanted to just carry some papers with the verses. When I felt like the Lord highlighted Psalm 97, and this one really struck me. Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains consumes his foes. That which is opposing God in the land... God says, maybe I've allowed them to oppose me to a point, but not now. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All who worship images or idols are put to shame. Those who boast in idols... Look at this next phrase. This is a command in Hebrew. Worship him, all you gods. And, and David was very aware that behind these idols were actual demonic powers. Real beings. Look at that. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above what? All gods. And I was struck when I read the psalm. Because the first half of the psalm describes God coming in a thunderstorm. Right? Clouds, darkness, lightning. And then the second half of the psalm is God confronting idolatry, judging the gods of the land. 
Now, I, I, this was striking me. I didn't know why. I didn't know why. It just was hitting me. I thought, I'm going to read every line when I get into that. T- I'm going to proclaim this psalm. A while later, three, about 3 o'clock comes and our team, uh, before we started walking down to the center of the city, we gathered in our apartment and we had about 30 minutes of just singing worship songs, making sure that our focus was on the Lord, that our, that our eyes were seeing Him. And then after we finished, we started walking down the streets towards the center of the city. Now, it might be weird here to do that, um, but in India, they don't care. So, because people are always chanting, and there's always a lot going on in India, out in the streets. So as we were walking, and it was quite a distance to the center of the city from where we were at, we were walking, we were singing worship songs out loud. Now, most of the people there didn't even speak English. It was all Hindi, so they didn't even know what we were saying anyways. But I remember we were, and it, and it didn't struck me till later. It didn't realize it till later that we were singing Psalm 97. You know that song, we exalt thee, we exalt thee, for thou, o Lord, our God most. That's from Psalm 97. I didn't realize that at the time. But we sang that song almost the entire way And I had this overwhelming sense as we were walking down the street singing that I could literally feel angels. Now, I don't know how to describe that, but it it wasn't my weird imagination. It was real. I thought, oh, that changes the equation. (laughs) When we arrived at the center of the city there were in the late afternoon on Friday, when I say there were tens of thousands of people, I'm not exaggerating, at the center of the city, there were multiple entryways into the temple complex, which is a ma- not just one little temple, I mean a huge temple complex. And there, the, there was shoulder-to-shoulder crowds everywhere. There were vendors that were selling little idols, offerings of flowers and other things to lay at the idols, vendors selling Hindu scriptures and magic items and relics and all kinds of things used for witchcraft. I mean, just vendors everywhere, right? Like a carnival of the occult. And so... Keto and I split off from the team. They were, they were going to walk the streets around this huge complex, which is huge, and then we were going to go in. And so we walked, and I remember getting a little nervous because the last time I stepped through one of those gates, it wasn't pretty. But this time, when we walked through the temple gate into this temple complex, I could not feel an ounce of demonic darkness. I couldn't feel it at all. And I remembered that. Because the last time, I felt crushed by it. This time, I didn't notice it. And we walked in, and we wanted to, we, we wanted to just spend some time waiting on the Lord, quietly. 
We couldn't find, it was so crowded. I mean, there were fortune tellers, there were statues of snakes, there were little children whose faces were painted like Hindu gods, and people were giving offerings to them. There were idol rooms everywhere. There was incense burning everywhere. There were little altar fires burning. There were Hindu priests chanting. They were beating cymbals. I mean, all that's going on. And finally, as we were walking around, there was this garden, this up, this, this on a higher level, there was this temple garden. We found a stone bench that nobody was sitting on. So Keto and I just sat on the bench. And we just started um, praying and waiting on God. And I remember thinking of that verse, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, where's the house you will build for me? And I remember thinking of that verse in, in John where Jesus said, then my father and I will come to him and make our home in him. And I saw these massive people and I almost started weeping. And Keto did too, and we felt God's heart for them. God wants to have his home, his dwelling place, with people. He wants to be with people. And these people didn't know him. They've re you know what I mean? In their own hearts, they've rejected him. They're separated from him. But he wants to dwell. He wants to make his home with people. And I could literally feel it as I was watching them from this stone bench. And for, I don't know for how long, I mean, we're trying to hold back tears. We could feel this yearning. God, it's like, I want these people in my family. And then we changed gears. And I opened up to Isaiah 64. And in Isaiah 64, I'm going to turn there. I want to read it. Here's what I read. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and the nations that the nations might tremble at your presence. And I was praying this verse and Keto and I, it felt like um, we, we were experiencing God's love, and now we were experiencing his authority, his power. And we started declaring these verses out loud. It, there was so much clamor going on. It, we, it really didn't, nobody really noticed. People are, were, you know what I mean? It's just, there was so much noise going on in the temple anyways, this complex. I didn't realize, we, we, I, I'm like, let's go start walking and praying. And when Keto and I, I didn't realize this. When we went to stand up, we couldn't. And we fell back down on the bench. We didn't realize that the presence of God was resting on us so heavily, that the power of God had clothed us with so much, with like a weight of his presence. We didn't even know that that had happened. 
until we tried to stand up. So we stayed on the stone bench. And at one point I opened to Psalm 97. And I started reading verse by verse. At this point, I don't care. I'm literally shouting each line. The Lord reigns. I mean, I'm like going for it. I don't care at this point. And I'm reading these, I'm declaring these verses about a storm. The sky had been completely sunny and clear that afternoon. And all of a sudden, a couple of raindrops hit the pages of my Bible. And I look up, and there are clouds forming above the temple. I'm not joking. And then thunder cracked. And lightning strikes. And when I got down to verse 7, I was standing up, and I was saying, Worship him, all you gods. Worship him. And I'm like shouting it as if I'm a representative of God on earth. The Bible says ambassador. Well, I'm being an ambassador at that point. I'm bringing the word from the president of the universe. And when, when I got to this phrase, you are exalted far above all gods, I'm literally shouting it. And Ketu and I start walking. We walked out of the thing. Rain starts just pelting us. Thunder is cracking. Lightning is hitting. And then it turns to hail. And within minutes... All the outer courtyards, there's no people left. They're gone. They run into idol rooms. They run out of the temple complex. They're, they're, they're running for shelter. And Keto and I, soaked to the bone, are standing out there. And we start just shouting, You are exalted! Far above all gods. I'm literally walking up to idol rooms, statues. The Lord! And, I, and, I, and we're like worshiping. And then at the end of Psalm 97, when we got to this one, and this is really not my personality. I don't dance. I know David danced. I appreciate that David did that. I'm just not a person that dances. I don't move well. But in verse 12, at the end of Psalm 97, because we're going verse by verse, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And when, we, when Ketu and I we rejoice in the Lord, I started dancing. I really did. I started spinning. I started leaping. I got my hands lifted up. I just can't... I just can't get over. I'm just rejoicing in God as the, as the thunder is. And I am telling you, so I grew up in the vineyard, Mother's Day 1981. I was in the Lonnie Frisbee service when the Spirit of God fell. The Kansas City prophets. I was in the service when Paul Cain said, the power is going to come 
and then it blew out the electrical system, the phone system, and that part of the electrical grid of Anaheim, California. I was there. I was there in Toronto, right? When the power of God would come with such intensity. Um, I've experienced God before. I am telling you. At that moment, I thought, right here in a Hindu temple in India with me and this other Indian guy, I've never experienced God's power and presence like this before. It was the greatest worship service I've ever been in, ever. Finally, with the hail and the rain, it was dark. Uh, actually, a big part of the electricity went out. I mean, but that's not uncommon in India, but went out in that section of the city. We couldn't stay outside anymore. So we ran into one of the large idol rooms. And there were all these Indians, you know, doing their symbols and just frantically praying to their gods. And Aketo and I walked right in the middle and we sat down right in the middle of the room. And we lifted up our hands and we just started singing, we exalt thee. And we started singing, alleluia. And we started singing worship songs. And we went for about 45 minutes. And I just remembered, now, maybe it's because we were singing, maybe it's because I'm a white guy, maybe it's because they felt the presence of the Lord, but all those Indians in that idol room just quieted down and just stared at us, just stared at us. We did not care. We didn't care. When we had the student revival, there was an outpouring of the Spirit in Kansas City, went for nine months. A long time, nine months maybe. And I remember the motto of that revival at IHOP University was get drunk and stay drunk. Because everyone realized that in ourselves we have no boldness to reach the world. But if you get so drunk in the Holy Spirit, so filled in the Holy Spirit, you literally will not care what other people think. When you're that close to God, you only care what he thinks. We didn't care what they thought in that room. At, at one point, Keto hits my arm and says, we have a team out there somewhere. We've really got to go. I said, you're right. We were running. We ran outside to the courtyard. The rain is just literally like sheets, the thunder. And we were soaked, and we finally ran out of the gateway. We uh, found a rickshaw, got into the rickshaw, and headed back. The storm lasted about three hours. It finished by the time we got back to our apartment. When we walked up to our apartment, I remember we knocked on the door and the team, one of the other team leaders opened up the door and she looked at us. And it wasn't that we were gone for a long time. It wasn't that we separated. She goes, oh my gosh. We're like, what? She said, and I don't know what she meant by this. I don't, th all she said was, you, your faces, it looks like you're glowing. And we sat down in the room and we, we told, with as much detail as we can, we recounted what had happened in the last three hours to our whole team. Told them the whole story. 
That was the first. By the way, the next six times, Fridays, was the hardest, most difficult prayer meetings I think I'd ever had. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Lord said, go seven Fridays. First Friday was what I told you. The next six was just work. It was hard. It was difficult. It was dry. It felt dry. Something happened, though, not just with us, but something happened with the city of Kalapur. During our evangelism times, I remember we walked into, um, we went, we walked into one little mud hut. It was literally the walls were mud, tin tin roof, and we were sharing because somebody invited us in. We were going door to door, sharing about Jesus, and a fight broke out outside. But the fight ended up, a couple hundred people gathered to watch the fight. Well, when the fight was done, the people are still there. So we start sharing through a translator, I did, through a translator about Jesus to the crowd. A lady walks up with tears in her eyes. She falls on her knees and she goes, help me. And through a translator, what do you need help with? She says, every day after work, when I walk the streets home at night, I hear voices telling me they're going to kill me. And so I feel like I'm going to die every day and I'm always in fear. And we said those voices end, can end tonight. All you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart. So she starts weeping, and she literally asks Jesus into her heart and gets saved. Uh, where our apartment was, there was, the, um, there was the family that their job was to open the, the gate to the apartment and close the gate. That's their job. And they had a little, very meager little room next to the gate. The parents and the kids lived in there. One night, the dad has a dream. Somebody wearing white clothes appears to him, tells him all about Jesus. He wakes up from the dream, and then he sees the person in his dream. Later, it was one of the people on our team. Invites them in. They share about Jesus. Now it's not in a dream. It's in real life. The whole family receives Jesus, and just to make sure it's real, the family gathers their house idols with our team members, marches down to the lake down the street, and throws the idols into the lake. We were in another house. How, we got invited into another house. A, a bunch of Hindu ladies invited us where we ended up doing Bible studies at their house. And when we worshiped, there was a Hindu lady there that the moment we started worshiping to the moment that we ended, she wouldn't just weep, she would sob, overwhelming sobbing. It's like, wow, that's what it looks like when a Hindu person repents. By the time after two months, after two months, we had had groups that had started in 15 different homes. And many of those groups continued becoming churches later on. Now, I know that's kind of dramatic. And I'm not saying 
that God is going to do this or that God is going to do that with us. What I am saying is God is going to do what he wants to do with us in the, in the town of your in the city of your Belinda. And our assignment, part of our assignment is to go to that spot and do 2 Chronicles 20, do Psalm 110. Be the Levites, the priests with the instruments, the, the worshiping and praising and singing. And that's, we're, that's going in front of the army. Let's just say for a moment that maybe there's an army of evangelists that's about to march through Southern California. Let's just say. And maybe God says, God already knowing that in his foresight says, then I want to put some worshipers at the front and pray and worship and ask for my kingdom to come. And our part, we're not a huge church. It's just a little circle in the middle of your Belinda. But our part matters. And it's what are we going to do? It's, we're going to go for one hour. We're going to sing a worship song together. And then we're going to pray for the city a little bit. And then we're going to worship, do another worship song. And then we're going to pray for the city a little bit. And we're going to do another worship song. This is what we did in Orange Circle. Typically, we do th four worship songs and we pray in between. And, and I'm going to encourage you. At times, the Lord might say, I'm, I want you to declare this Bible verse while we're doing it. And you're going to bring a Bible verse with you. And during one of those prayer times, you're going to declare that over the, over the region. Our job is not to make something happen. Our job is to do 1st, 2nd Chronicles 20 and Psalm 110. To be worshipers in front of the army and just praise publicly. And so that's why we're going to do that. Any thoughts or questions? Anything jump out at you? Yeah, Stephanie. In a, you're right. What happens when the Lord shows that he is exalted far above all gods? What happens? In the center of your Belinda, there's a mosque. You guys know that? A big one. There's a huge Hindu temple complex, or Buddhist complex on Bastion Cherry. There's a Christian science reading room. There's a Masonic Lodge. This is all in the downtown center of your Belinda area. There's a Jehovah's Witness, right? All, and that's just the ones you see. Do you understand what I'm saying? What happens when God says, okay, I'm done. I'm going to show myself to be exalted far above all gods. What does that look like? 
Stephanie, you want to come up? Any other final thoughts or questions? Yeah, Jerry. Well, the Bible tells us that a third of the angels, when Satan became proud and the moment he had pride in his heart, he was cast out of heaven, a third of the angels followed him and they disguised themselves as gods, demons. And they try to get worship because they hate, they hate it when God is worshiped because they hate God. So they'll do anything they can to redirect worship to themselves. Yeah. We've got a, yeah, we've also got a flyer that you can grab. It's over there. Yeah, you can grab those dates, and we'll do that. What happened in the temple after the Sojourners? No, it's still functioning. It was, um, but what happened in the city was churches started getting planted. What happened in, yeah, he asked what happened in the temple. The, the churches started getting planted in the city. I got a letter uh, it, was, it was like seven or eight years later, a random letter from the ministry that we joined with. And it was talking about how things have continued and grown at un, an unbelievable scale. Now, what we experienced was just a tipping point. There's, you know what I'm saying? Anyways. Do you know that chord, that third song you sang with that new chorus? Yeah, but that one, that chorus of the bridge part. What I want, let's go ahead and stand up. We're just going to finish by doing this.